many of my clients who have been very ambitious and successful business owners in their own right retire and they do it for three or four years and they get bored and they go back to work. Or if they battle against that, the likelihood of them dying exponentially increases because they lose purpose. You are an amazing human being. You're a coach or expert who works hard to make a positive difference for your clients. I'm Joss Willard, and my mission is to help good coaches like you make great profits so you can live an amazing life helping the people you're meant to serve. This podcast is here to help with that. We'll be bringing you the information, resources, experts, and perspectives to allow your practice to make a difference, support the life you want, and reward you fairly and well for the impact that you bring. Welcome to Profit for Coaches. Welcome to another episode of Profit for Coaches. I am your host, Joss Willard, and I'm excited. Today, we're going to talk to Jackson Milan, or as I like to call him, Jackson Millions, because the man has helped people make millions and millions of dollars. Actually, in fact, he's helped his clients build an excess of $1.5 billion with a B. I'm going to have to start calling him Jackson Billion. Anyway, Jackson Milan is also known as the Wealth Mentor, and he spent the last 14 years helping service businesses understand the language of money and manufacture financial freedom for themselves and their families. He has, as I said, successfully helped over a thousand clients build in excess of $1.5 billion in combined wealth, and he has scaled multiple seven-figure businesses along the way. He is a master of helping business owners make their money work for them and turn their business profits into personal wealth. I am super excited. Jackson is a great dude. Um, I've known him for several years, and buckle up, guys. There is a wealth of knowledge coming at you in this episode. Enjoy it. Real quick, our goal here at the podcast is for these episodes to provide techniques, tools, skills, strategies, and inspiration that can help any coaching practice be more profitable. But you want your practice to be more profitable. And while you can get all kinds of great things from this episode and any episode of Profit for Coaches, what will help you even more is advice, guidance, and action steps designed around your unique situation, your life, your practice, your goals, your challenges. How can we best help you with that? The quickest way to get you exactly what you need for your practice is for you to head over to ProfitForCoaches.com. When you're there, click on and grab your Profitable Practice Scorecard. It's absolutely free. It just takes a few minutes. Fill out the scorecard. It will let us know exactly where your practice is and where you want it to go and what you're dealing with. Once you've done that, you'll get a response that tells you exactly what you can do next. The action steps you can take to make your practice more profitable and get you where you want your practice to be as soon as possible. So head on over to ProfitForCoaches.com and grab your Profitable Practice Scorecard today. So as usual, I like to start with, how'd you get to be the amazing worldwide infamous Jackson Million that you are today? I started my journey at 19. Um, I come from pretty humble beginnings. My parents were business owners. They were uh, in trade and home services industries, worked incredibly hard and uh, had actually made quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. However, never managed to hold on to it. Um, it was very much the cash flow creep that we're familiar with, just yep. that uh, that uh, experiences that many business owners experience. And I realized that they were working for money. Uh, money wasn't working for them. Yep. So I set out in pursuit of uh, mastering the, the language of money to help people like my parents, started training to become a financial advisor, and very quickly realized that financial advisors really want to help two types of people. They want to help people who are already wealthy and make them wealthier, 
or yep. they want to sell commission-based products to people like my parents who, quite frankly, don't need them. Um, so I set out on a different path. I started calling myself a wealth coach and I started focusing on education and teaching people like my parents the fundamentals so they mm-hmm. can amass wealth and uh, create financial freedom faster. And that's led me on a, a wild journey uh, around the world where we've helped our clients build close to $2 billion in combined wealth now. Uh, and uh, and it's been uh, quite a journey and uh, enjoying it uh, enjoying it just as much as when I started. Nice. And that was billion with a B. Billion. Billion with a B. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of money. What would you say the biggest, other than not selling products, because I've I spent my time in the financial services world too, know the game. So, uh, but other than not focusing on selling products, what do you say the biggest difference for you is between being a wealth coach and a financial advisor? The biggest difference is having a done with you approach with your clients. Okay. The fundamental issue with the financial services industry is that it is built off the back of complexity and and it is complex, right? There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot to comprehend. However, the industry is built off treating clients like they're idiots. Yes. And Coupled with the fact that most people don't see themselves as financial people, mm-hmm. they abdicate responsibility to a financial advisor. They take a blind leap of faith yep. where they say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Financial Advisor, take my money, make smart decisions with it. Let me know how it's doing, which typically comes in the form of a once a year meeting and a report. Yep. And I just hope that that gets me to financial freedom. And the secret is it doesn't. No. Um, so the idea here is that we need to teach our clients how to create the right financial foundation for themselves. Mm-hmm. Money is made through changing behavior. And when we can change and modify behavior, then we can change and modify the results. We then need to get clear on how to create a financial roadmap. Now, most people have a very superficial view of what financial freedom truly means, mm-hmm. and they've never really gone deep on it. So we help them facilitate that, and we actually help them create a 20-year financial roadmap. And then we help them reverse engineer that so they can actually measure their progress in pursuit of that goal mm-hmm. and course correct themselves. So those are the fundamental differences from my perspective. Cool. So you mentioned a couple of things. Um, the first one I want to touch on, though, is when I was doing financial advisory work, and it was there was a lot more of the coaching side than the, the advisory side, but I mean- it was the business, so it was the business. But when I was doing that, and then when I transitioned into business coaching, there's a the same roughly the same question that I would ask everyone. And it was it was always long term, what do you wanna what do you wanna see from this? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what are your goals? And I always got some sort of response along the lines of, man, 20 years from now, dude, I don't know what I'm gonna be doing 20 days from now, right? Like how do you take someone, especially when we're talking someone between the ages of 25 and 45 right now and yeah. say to the, and, and get them to actually think 20 years down the road? Yeah, it's, it's really challenging. And I struggle with this myself. Um, the, the pivotal moment where I started really developing the system that we call the wealth mastery machine mm-hmm. was selfishly for, my, for myself because I was really struggling. Um, as an adult, I've been diagnosed with ADHD, which means that uh, I'm not very good at deferring gratification. The all kind of typical uh, financial shrink yourself wealthy crap just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with deferring gratification. I don't like to sacrifice. Um, I want to have my cake and eat it too. And I really struggled to find a system that allowed me to do that. And coupled with that, I was very short-term focused. It was very transactional. It was, okay, what's the next thing I want? And I just work towards that and hyper-focus on it. And that would ultimately lead me to a point where I would want one thing Mm -hmm. and then something would come along that would compete for the same means and I would need to make a scarcity-based choice, which um, anybody who's been in that situation sucks. It's terrible. (laughs) Raising my hand. It is not- Yes. And and what I come to realize is that it is not an absence of money. It is an absence of planning proper planning. 
what I call three-dimensional planning. So what I did is I developed this tool called the 20-Year Roadmap. And what it basically was, it was a resource to develop all of your lifestyle and financial goals over one, five, 10, 15, and 20 years. And the first time I did this exercise, I stared blanks. Like I, I really couldn't get past one year. And it comes down to the fact that I'd never given myself the space or the permission to think longer term. Mm. And it took me a while. So the first time I spent about four hours, I got to one year and I'm like, I don't know what I want. I parked it. I come back a week later and then I got to five years. And I've revisited this exercise every 30 to 90 days. Mm. And every single time I do it, it evolves. Because the problem that we have is that a lot of our true aspirational wants and desires are more feelings than things. Yep. And our knee-jerk response is to allow our neocortex, our human brain, our strategic brain to throw out a knee-jerk response of, oh, I just I, I want to have passive income or I want to have a 10-property portfolio. This is where the ego lives. Mm-hmm. And we need to go deeper than the ego into the limbic system where our emotions and our feelings reside. And that takes time. Because mm-hmm. what we've got to realize is that those two parts of our brain evolved at very different times and they don't speak very well to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like whenever you get that gut feeling and you go, I can't quite wrap words around it, it just doesn't feel right. That is your limbic system failing to communicate in words to your neocortex. So it's only when we can actually go through and create what we call money muscle memory. We start to program our subconscious and the various parts of our brain to communicate better to each other that we actually start unlocking what we truly want. Mm -hmm. And when we can unlock what we truly want, we can actually reverse engineer a plan that we are intrinsically motivated by, which in turn amplifies our results in life and business. So short version, you've learned how to hack the brain. Yes. I'm a brain geek. So I love getting into how the different parts of the brain talk to each other or don't, you know, cognitive theory and all that kind of fun stuff. So I was following along with that. But at the same time, I was like, okay. So really it comes down to you're an entrepreneur, you diagnosed with ADHD. So in other words, basically you're a typical under 45 year old dopamine addict who to get is an entrepreneur. Like that's odds are you were, you were created that way. Um, actually, no, yes. you were a combination of nature and nurture. Cause that's kind of what we've done sure. with the last couple of generations. And so in modern parlance, you've, you've hacked that and learned how to give yourself the space to let your brain do what it needs to do, but get past the quick answer. Exactly. Because shrinking yourself wealthy is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why less than 10% of people are going to retire with the financial means to self-fund their retirement. Right. 90% of individuals will require subsidy from the government or family in order mm-hmm. to live comfortably. Yep. So that tells me that 90% of current wealth strategies and wealth structures and philosophies around wealth creation don't work. No. So we need to do something different, right? And the idea here is that as an entrepreneur, we have an uncapped potential for income. However, what we need is we need to get beyond the superficial of like, hey, I want to pump up my tires and I want to be a multi-million dollar entrepreneur. Unless we connect that to a deeper purpose, the odds are you're not going to get there because mm-hmm. you're not intrinsically motivated to get there. However, when we can create a framework and space to define what we truly want, the house we want to live in, the experiences that we want to pursue, the lifestyle we want, the holidays we want, the school we want to send the kids to, the things, the causes that are dear to our heart that we want to give back to, and we can reverse engineer that and link the outcomes to the activity, there is very little that can get in the way of an entrepreneur of bridging that gap. 
And this is the reason why we've completely reversed the odds in the results of our clients financially by getting them to play to win. The vast majority of our clients reach their goals or exceed their goals uh, as a result of following this system because it's no longer an unsustainable trajectory. It's all about living for today and planning for tomorrow. Gotcha. So I've got a bunch of different places I want to go right now. So I want to talk about fire and then I want to talk about the 90%. And then I want to talk about the long-term versus short-term Actually, it's not versus, but it's combining. combining. So let's go back to, so when you talk about, you know, shrink yourself wealthy and most modern wealth strategies not working, well, the, the, shouldn't say the biggest, but seemingly the most popular among the short-term dopamine addicted millennial Gen Z. And to a certain extent, because I'm, I'm an Xennial, so I'm like right at the top of that, right? Yeah. In that space is fire. So financial independent, retire early, right? So yes. How do you see that? Does what you do tie into that? Is it a, a little bit? Yeah, we take some philosophy from it. Once again, I think the fire movement was largely created by frustrated employees mm-hmm. who didn't want to work their ass off for 40 years, retire at 65, be completely knackered and not have the energy or the health in order to enjoy the fruits right. of their labor. And they wanted to shortcut their trajectory to retirement in its traditional definition uh, to get there so they can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is built off the fundamental principle of shrinking yourself wealthy. Yep. It is all about budgeting. It's all about cutting expenses. And it is about maximizing surplus yep. in order to shortcut that retirement, whereby, say, a traditional uh, a wealth accumulator might contribute 10 or 20% of their household income towards wealth, and that takes them 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um somebody who's engaging in the fire movement, they would want to contribute 40, 50, 60% of their household income towards wealth creation uh, and get there by 45, right? Or whatever the number might be. So I still have issues with that. Um, And my view on this is that entrepreneurs, unlike most employees who are passionate about their business and love what they do, never want to retire. I have no intention to retire. Like it sounds boring. The idea of sitting at home watching daytime television or Um, going and traveling the world for years on end, it gets old quick. And Mm. I've seen many of my clients who have been very ambitious and successful business owners in their own right retire and they do it for three or four years and they get bored and they go back to work. Or if they battle against that, the likelihood of them dying exponentially increases because they lose purpose. So we want to make sure that we run a sustainable journey because the idea here is that If you love what you do and you can do it in a capacity whereby money is no longer the primary driver, you're doing it because it it fills you with purpose, it allows you to make a difference, then that changes the the game. We don't need to necessarily subsidize 100% of our retirement through our investment assets. We can build enough investment asset that gives us comfort comfort, Mm -hmm. and we can use our consulting or the work that we do in a part-time capacity in order to give us the cream on top. Right. Now- The way that we work through this, Josh, is that we have a really simple formula that we call the financial freedom figure. What we need to do is firstly define how much we need to be financially free. So for me, it's $200,000 a year. But $200,000 a year, I have the ability to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. So what we do is we take that number, we divide that by five, and we multiply it by 100. So for me, that $200,000 divided by five, multiplied by 100, leads me to $4 million of net wealth. Yep. So if I have $4 million of net wealth, I have the ability to produce quite confidently $200,000 a year in either passive income or realizable investment growth that allows me to provide me with that in perpetuity. I will never erode the capital. Gotcha. That is the magic number. Now, guys, if you're watching, listening to this, go do that calculation now. So 
find out the number, what it is, divide it by five, multiply it by 100, and you might have a come to Jesus moment where you go, oh, shit, that's a big number. Yep. It's always a big number. <laughs> yep. Now we've got to work out how we get there. And what we've got to realize is there are only three levers in order to get there, Just The first one is how much we contribute. Second one is how much risk are we prepared to take? And the third one is how long are we prepared to wait? So we work at the last one first. So for me, I want to be in a position that I can have that amount of wealth by 45 and essentially ensure that I can work because I want to, not because I need to. Mm -hmm. So then the two remaining variables, let's assume that I choose a rate of 8%. So a typical balanced portfolio, a balanced ETF or index fund is produced about 8% per year. Mm -hmm. I can now quantify how much I need to be contributing to that portfolio to presuppose that outcome yep. and have complete peace of mind and certainty about getting there. Simple. As long as you can come up with that number. Correct. Right. Okay, cool. Now uh, we'll go into the conspiracy theories about mutual funds later. Um, yes. When you talk about the 90, you know, 90% of wealth strategies are, are failure. 90% of people are going to wind up dependent on government or family or some sort of external force for funding when they retire to, to live their life. And we say comfortable, and that's that's a very moving, moving number, right? right? That's that that definition is really open for interpretation. What's comfortable mean? Yes. With without getting too deeply into our tinfoil hats, do you think that's on purpose? Of course. We've got to realize that since the industrial evolution uh, revolution, the machine is fueled by labor, mm -hmm. human capital. And making sure that individuals are obligated to continue to run the machine, part of keeping the wheels turning in order to provide the, the, mm -hmm. the steam that powers this big beast that we've created in our, our capitalist society. Um, there's nothing we can do to change that. It is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can understand it and you can choose to play by the rules that put you in a, a better position to win. Um, it is the reason why there's no financial literacy in the school syllabus. It's the reason why you're not taught this stuff. It's the reason why this, this, this information is not readily available. You have to go out and seek it of your own volition and your own free will. Um, and that is what allows you to escape the matrix. Now, that's as far as the tinfoil hat that I'm going to go. Um, <laughs> but like anything, you have a choice, right? You yeah. either become a victim of the rules and the circumstance or you learn the rules so you can play by them and yep. skew the, 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 the results in your favor. Um, so we need to learn it. Figure out how the game works so you can rig it. So that brings me to there's long-term planning and there's even there's setting the goal. And this is a thing that we deal with when I'm business coaching with people all the time is, all right, you want this thing and that's a the, the five years away, 10 years away. That's There's the big tree on the hill. That's where we're headed. What works better? Focusing on the big, on the tree, keeping your eyes on the tree the whole time, or is it focusing on each step that you're taking along the way and trying to find motivation or whatever it is so that you can keep doing those little things that are going to get you to the big tree. And I don't know what the right answer is. I've gone back and forth. I've, I tend to lean towards a mixture of both, but I don't know what it is. Where do it, you come it down? It's a mixture of both. It's interesting. I, I had a speaking engagement last week and, um, after the speaking engagement, we went out for dinner with a group of the of the attendees and we're having a chat. And there was a really great guy there. And um, he shared a piece of, of advice that he was given uh, by his father, who was a truck driver. And he was teaching him how to drive a truck. And he, he had this mm -hmm. profound light bulb moment of this piece of advice that was in the context of a truck that really resonated with him in all aspects of his life. And his dad was telling him that when you're driving a big truck, you can't stop as fast as everyone else. Right. Um, you need to be conscious of your limitations when you're operating this vehicle because the, the consequences can be catastrophic. So all you can do is control the space in front of it. So the idea here is when we talk about wealth planning, 
we need to look at the across the horizon and we need to know where we're heading. We need to have that North Star. We need to look at that tree in the distance. But we need to be able to understand and control the space in front of us. Because in the grand scheme of things, we look out over the horizon, there is so much that is going to change between here and there that we need to be cognizant of, we need to have clarity around, and we need to act upon. So if we're constantly looking big picture and we're not being breaking that down into real tangible here and now actions, then our ability to bridge that distance and close that gap is going to be limited. And this mm-hmm. is where people who have their head in the clouds and, and focus on just the really big picture esoteric stuff um, typically come undone with the execution and yep. vice versa. Too much focus on just the fine minutiae of the execution without thinking big picture uh, isn't necessarily going to get you where you want to go. So mm-hmm. it's about having the combination of the both. The way I look at it is let's glance up at the horizon and make sure that we take note of where we're heading and make sure we're on track and then focus on the space in front of you and how we control it. That's the best I've been able to come up with is is set the set the stake out there. Say it's the five-year stake, whatever, or even the one-year stake, and then figure out what are the steps I need to take to get myself there. And then put your head down for, it might be a month, it might be 90 days, it might be six weeks, whatever the, the, the right space is for you, put your head down. And then at the end of that time period, pick your head up, make sure of where you are in relation to the the tree, the goal, the horizon, and yes. then put your head back down again, make whatever adjustment you need to make and then put your head back down and then and keep going. Um, That's it. And to yeah. bring this, make this real world for you guys, because this can sound great in theory, but yeah. how do we do it in principle? So when we create this 20-year roadmap, all of those things can be quantified in time or money. We can reverse engineer that. And what that allows us to do is to set a surplus target. So, okay, for me to live the lifestyle I want and have the surplus means to commit towards my future planning, what do I need to earn? I create an income target or a profit target, right? Now, using the profit first system, we can reverse engineer that to say, cool, based on my profit percentages, what's my top line revenue need to be? Then to produce that top line revenue, what do my KPIs and metrics need to be? Which then allows us to define all of the activity required in order to presuppose the outcome. Now, what we do with our clients is we break this down into what we call quarterly money milestones. There's six of them. Cool. Active income target, surplus target, cash target, asset target, debt target, and a net wealth target. So if we've got an annual goal and we break that down into quarterly milestones, we can now create a momentum-based plan because the next biggest enemy that we have around money is we believe it is pass or fail. Yes. It's all momentum. So let's say, for example, my active income is 200 grand, so I need to make 50 grand a quarter. Let's say I only get 41 quarter. I don't give up. I say, cool, well, how about I tap 10 grand onto next quarter and try and play catch up, right? And it makes it so much more enjoyable. We run it, we, we treat it as if we're running a race mm-hmm. as opposed to beating ourselves up for losing the sprint. Right. Cool. So when you're planning, when you're doing all of this planning, you're saying, all right, you know what? I've, I've built a business. I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm not where I want to be necessarily, but I, and I know that the business isn't necessarily going to get me to the long-term wealth just by itself. I need to pull everything together and, and, you know, do the plan. It's time to make the change, right? So we're getting to the end of the year here. And in North America, we have this dichotomy. We have, we have January 1st, new year that set your resolutions, get moving there, which for most people fail. We also have a lot of people who will start in the fall because that's the beginning of the school year. So the kids go back to school September and it's almost like our, our um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our biological clocks have reset. So at the beginning of the year is actually like September. And there are a lot of people who you. will, all right, after Labor Day, now I'm setting myself up. I know what, but either way, I think it's a case of, it doesn't matter. Just find the time that's right f- for you. It, 
in the Southern hemisphere, I don't know because summer is different, fall is different. You guys are just coming into spring as the new year starts. Do you run into that where? We definitely do. Ah, People procrastinate around milestones, Josh, and it, it kills me. Um, the two big ones for us is that we've got our calendar year end, obviously new year, new me, and our financial year starts 1st of July. So people use the financial year as a point of procrastination as well, but they use every other deadline as well. Oh, Easter's coming, Australia Day's coming, uh, it's Christmas, oh, my birthday. Um, here we've got a big horse race called the Melbourne Cup. Uh, people use that to procrastinate. Um, it just, it's, it's a mugs game when we play that game. There is never going to be a right time. There's never a perfect time. Um, if you're trying to find when you're not going to be busy, it's never going to happen. Oh, no. Like I've got clients who are retirees and they're the busiest people I know. Um, so you need to make the time and there's never a right time to start. What we've got to realize is that the, the pursuit of perfection is the enemy of progress. Mm. So, so we need to get started. So yesterday. Yes. Best time, best time here lies yesterday. the problem. Here okay. lies the problem. The reason why the vast majority of people do not amass enough wealth in order to self-fund is because the default outcome when it comes to their wealth creation is not action. It is the exception to the rule. It is the outlier. The default outcome is inaction. Yes. They have set themselves up in a way where only when they invest time, effort, bandwidth do outcomes occur, meaning that when that effort and action does not occur, the outcomes don't happen, which is the vast majority of the time. Right. And what we help our clients do, particularly entrepreneurs, because they are so time poor, is we need to have what we call an investment operating system. Okay. This allows us to automate, systemize, and simplify the way we go about allocating our business profits and turning it into personal wealth. Because without this, it's not going to happen. So again, going back to build the systems that handle the things you don't want to do. Because yes. most people don't want to, it, ironically, most people don't want to build wealth. They like they yes. like what's at the end. They like to have the wealth. They don't want to go through the process of building the wealth. Not necessarily because they're lazy or because they're bad humans or they just won't do it. Like, like, but because the actions required, and if, if I'm hearing you right, this is what it sounds like you're saying. The actions required to build wealth are not actions that we naturally feel like we want to do. We tend to shy away no. and do other things. Is, is part of that because we're afraid of doing it wrong because the stakes are, are so high? Yes. And this is once again, intrinsically built into us and it's defined as loss aversion bias. Yep. And there has been studies done that the the impact, the emotional impact of loss is twice as significant as the emotional impact of a gain. Mm-hmm. And what this means is that you need to put twice as much effort or energy or have twice as good systems to take action when it comes to building wealth. Otherwise, you will default try to avoid losing. And this is where we see people do the most irrational things that cost them dearly. We're talking delay their ability to create financial freedom by decades, if not indefinitely, mm-hmm. because they take irrational action because of the loss aversion bias that exists in their head. So this might be way too big of a leap, but does that mean you're a buy and hold guy? Always. I'll tell you my exact system, Josh. I build wealth in three ways. Uh, I teach my clients this. There are only three predictable ways to build wealth in this world. There is business building a valuable business that you can sell or acquiring other businesses. I do both. Um, Buy as much good quality property that you could possibly buy. This is good quality property in affluent areas where people like you want to live long-term and they want to raise families. Mm -hmm. Uh, In areas that is landlocked, that is already developed, that has restrictions in place for zoning so they can't build towers uh, up into the the clouds. Uh, It is these areas that there is always a asymmetrical relationship between the demand and the supply. 
and therefore that pushes up prices. And three, we accumulate as much good quality stocks as we possibly can using index funds and ETFs. We want to get the average of what the market does because what we've proven is that asset allocation, so the overall assets that you're allocating to, not the underlying stocks, is what contributes to 80% of asset performance. I've done some recent studies on this and you have a 6% chance of choosing a stock that will go bankrupt. Now, those odds are relatively low. Yeah. However, if you have a direct stock portfolio of 20 or 30 stocks, that may represent a pretty substantial part of your overall investment savings, right? Yep. However, when we go and accumulate an index fund or an ETF that has 200, 300, in some cases, there's diversified index funds that have four or 5,000 underlying investments, an underlying stock going broke or bust or into administration within that portfolio is a very small blip on the radar. Yeah. And this is not about the tactical asset selection. It is about getting money into the market. Mm -hmm. This is why we call it passive income. Right. Uh, And we should focus our active efforts on our business. Gotcha. I don't want to go too deep into the weeds, um, but the day trader folks, what's the response to the folks who are like, yeah, but if I just make a full-time job out of you know, invest in the right software and make the right trades, I can 3,000x my portfolio in three and a half months. Yeah, I see it all the time. And look, I've got some clients of mine who are very successful traders, like eight and nine figure traders, um, some of the best traders that you've never heard of that fly under the radar and that make immense amounts of money, but it is their business. Mm -hmm. They dedicated decades to honing their craft because it is an active income. It is a profession. Now, if you are a business owner, and we see this happen all the time, entrepreneurs, because we've done so well at manufacturing wealth in our business, we're like, hey, I've got all this money. I can do the same thing with investments. And to put it bluntly, they do their ass. Um, They lose a lot of money. They do a lot of damage because typically they're still in their business, so they're splitting their focus. Mm-hmm. And you don't do anything well when you split focus. Nope. Uh, two, they don't necessarily have the intrinsic skills that are required to be a good trader. So for me, I'm a terrible trader. I have low patience. I have short fuse. I have low attention to detail. I chase shiny objects. I don't have the the, the makeup to be a good trader. And that represents the vast majority of entrepreneurs. My clients who are traders are highly analytical, super conservative, they understand the the science mm. uh, and the way to go about trading profitably. They scalp the market, which means mm. that they look for small opportunities where there are arbitrage, yep. where they can control their risk and maximize their return. Um, and most entrepreneurs aren't built that way. Nope. So one of my, my first investment mentors who was a, a manager of multi-billion dollars, he's, the best piece of advice he ever gave me is he said, Jackson, play with your partner, not your portfolio. Stop looking for getting your kicks by managing your money. It's not where they should be found. The stakes are far too high. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, keep it boring. Keep, yeah, keep your investments boring, which is hard to do if you're a dopamine addict who you've decided that you're going to make money your full-time job. Um, so just to make this clear, you have clients who are very successful traders and none of them are out there selling their secret software that will make anybody else just as successful and wealthy as they are? You've never heard of them and you never will. They fly under the radar. If you saw them in a room, they are the most unassuming people uh, that you would ever meet. Mm -hmm. Um, They're almost invisible. And that's the reason why they do what they do. So without slagging another industry too hard, do you think it's safe to say that that's probably the vast majority of successful traders 
that they're yes. not out there flogging some sort of software that or using well maybe they maybe they are using a, a software but they're not selling a software telling everybody this is the secret so when i when i get those emails and dms and and things from the people promising me that they're successful day traders and they can make me a successful day trader as an entrepreneur in just 10 minutes a day if i use their software and invest 50 grand i should probably not follow that advice it doesn't work that way. Like what we're going to understand is that the markets, there used to be far more opportunity to use algorithms and trading bots in order to scout the market. However, you've got to realize that banks uh, and uh, investment institutions and private equity firms and hedge funds have far more money than you to develop these algorithms and these tools. And they are implement they're creating AI bots that allow to understand the psychology of mum and dad traders to stop out their positions and scalp on their trades. Yeah. Um, they make billions and billions and billions of dollars doing this. Um, so the opportunity in order to have a pretty shoddy algorithm that you think is going to trade for you in 10 minutes a day, it is just it's it's ridiculous. Um, and it's it, quite frankly in the vast majority of cases doesn't work. Yeah. So Again, I'm I'm stomping really hard on my on my desire to go deep into technical stuff, but that's all right. I, so one, hopefully, this is as far as I can be satisfied with going this far and no further. Do you think that stock trading has gone has made the jump from trading on fundamentals to trading on emotion? Yes. And do you think that the larger companies, the banks, the Black Rocks, etc., are Putting well, this is sound kind of a how much, and you can use the word a lot or very. How much do you think they're putting in money wise, effort wise, etc., into figuring out how to manipulate the emotions of the market to make money? It's really interesting, and I believe yes. So typically, a share market will go through two cycles, um, and that will go through a cycle of being a bull market and a bear market. Yep. And when we go through these really crazy bull markets, we see that there is a big shift towards emotion mm -hmm. and because the reality is that fundamentals are out the window and that's why growth stocks have done so crazy where there's this disconnect between the intrinsic value of a company and the investor's perceived value and future value of that company, right? Um, but what we'll start to see is I personally believe we're going to find ourselves in a recession next year. Um, mm -hmm. I believe it's going to hit between kind of March and June um, and it's going to be more significant than your run-of-the-mill recession. I think we're going to get hit pretty hard. And this is where you'll start to see the re-emergence of value stocks where we'll start to see a, a rally back to understanding true fundamentals and really valuable, boring companies with strong balance sheets uh, and really good economic moats will thrive. And that's where we'll find a, a run back towards fundamentals because growth companies are going to eat shit. Um, in terms of your Black Rocks and your big players, we can see that that's what they've been doing because they've made their first significant play into residential real estate in North America. Mm. And we know that that, that has been the uh, – once they ride the wave of the, the growth stocks in the stock market – uh, they realize that they could ride the wave in the residential real estate market of the emotional drivers that have just pushed residential property to ridiculous numbers. Yeah. Um, so I think that that speaks for itself and they are investing billions and billions and billions of dollars in this space. However, they understand that uh, the market is likely going to crash, but they've got the capital in order to capitalize on all of those fire sales when they occur. Uh, so they're always going to win. They're too big, quite frankly, to fail. Have they moved into buy and hold on real estate? Are they making long-term play or are they going to flip it as soon as the market 
I think they will struggle to flip it. I personally believe it will be a buy and hold so they can get the yields. Um, because one of the biggest challenges we're seeing across the developed world because of the flow and effects of COVID is that construction is construction completions is come to a halt mm-hmm. and vacancy rates in the developed world are ridiculous. Uh, so meaning there's an absolute shortage of property and they're making a play on consistent yields through basically controlling the residential rental market. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the sheer volume of property that they hold leads them to a position where they can't sell because they will just flood the market and we'll end up with another GFC, uh, which we I'm sure that they want to evolve, uh, avoid yeah. um, and they want to evolve from, from the past practices. So let's hope they've learned their lessons uh, that they don't want to end up in that situation again. Fair enough. Now, interesting because Canada, we're kind of the opposite of that, or at least the implication is that we are the opposite of that. Like, so we had, sure. we had the two coasts, you had Vancouver go nuts. Um, and a lot of that was blamed on foreign speculation and probably was. And then you had the Toronto area, which is basically where half of Canada lives, go nuts shortly after or roughly at the same time as Vancouver. So there's your your West Coast and Toronto's not really East Coast, but it, it it's more, you know, but it's, it's the East, right? And then you started to see some of that spilling over into places like Calgary, where I live, you know, middle middle Canada. And the big belief is, we're just short. Like we don't have enough housing starts um, no. or finishes, and so yeah. it's not a it's not a case of tons of vacancy. Now we have a lot of corporate vac. Like Calgary has a ton of corporate vacancy downtown, but residential not so much. Yeah. Um, are we just different than the rest of the world? Or well, that's exactly what's happening everywhere else. Vacancy rates are below one percent globally in the developed world. Um, in Australia, the national vacancy rate is 07 percent. Holy crap. And the Australian government has just fast-tracked 400,000 skilled migrants over the course of the next kind of five to 10 years, I believe. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to house them? Most developers are putting their projects on ice because the cost of labour and the cost of sourcing material is so high that they can't do the projects profitably. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the reason why property markets, I feel, will have a correction if they haven't already. In many areas, I believe they have corrected about 20%. Um, But I believe that this whole bubble that everyone's talking about I, I don't think it's going to hit. So the whole idea here is, guys, as an accumulator, stop looking to time the market and just start accumulating good quality assets when you can afford them based on their fundamentals and ride the wave. And like I said, I spent seven, eight years in the investment area. And yeah, like timing the market, trying to time the market is the, one of the fastest ways to go broke, yes. um, regardless of what's going on. So cool. So that that's, you know, patting myself on the back. I've got an expert agreeing with with what I've known for years. Um, no. Uh, so, okay. Now that we've bored half the audience because they're <laughs> like, well, I just want to know how to have a profitable coaching business. And the other half is frantically taking notes and, and going to come back and listen again because they've got these market tips. What's, uh, again, as we're looking to the new year, what's the best thing that a person could do if they're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jackson, I'm going to stop with all the silliness and I'm just going to go, I want to focus on building wealth over the next five, 10, 20 years uh, while being an entrepreneur. How do I set myself up to do that? How do I put that system in place so I can focus on my business? How do I get started? What's my What's my next step? Yes. The thing we can learn from history, because it was famously said by Winston Churchill, those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat it. And mm-hmm. this is where people come undone because they, they don't really understand economic history and what happens in terms of your typical economic cycle. So if the likelihood is that we're going to find ourselves in a pretty significant recession, 
we see that the biggest risk that you have is liquidity. Mm. It is people who are asset rich, but cash poor. And as a result of their liquidity and their cash flow crunch, that they are forced to fire sell assets at a loss, crystallize those positions and undo all of the hard work. Um, And that's normally due to just overextending themselves. So the first thing you need to do um, implementing all of the the great stuff that that you teach, Joss, is about understanding how to build that war chest. Having that war chest in your business, but also having that war chest at home. And it's about making sure that you've got that liquidity that allows you to buffer against the unforeseen and downturns, but also capitalize on opportunities as they come up. Gotcha. Okay. Next, you cannot theorize that when the market falls, you are going to allocate your capital because that loss aversion bias leads us to believe that it doesn't happen. And we've seen it time and time again, because the thought that's going to go through your head is that's not the bottom. I'm just going to wait. Um, let me see what happens, whatever insert excuse here. And we know that after the sharpest declines are the sharpest recoveries. Mm-hmm. And if you miss that, that initial recovery, then that's the vast majority of your returns out the window. So what you need to start building is money, muscle, memory. The analogy I like to use here is that if you go to the gym and you want to become a champion weightlifter, you're not going to go to the squat rack and put 300 kilos of weight on the bar and try and lift it. No. You're going to hurt yourself if you ever lift it at all. So the idea is the same with money. We need to start with the bar. We need to get the form right. And then we need to add weight over time. And the exact same thing happens with your investment. So we can start our investment journey. If you're not doing anything, 500 bucks a month. Mm. Go choose a, a market tracking index fund, allocate to it, 500 bucks a month, automate it where you can, and set a reminder to review it once a month, once a quarter. Put it from 500 to 750, 750 to 1,000, whatever it might be, and just keep picking up steam. Build that muscle memory. Add the plates. So meaning that by the point of time where we do get to a, a point where the market does fall, we have the experience to double down on that activity, to capitalize on those opportunities. As it was famously said, I missed my first recession, but I'm ready for my next one. (laughs) And they are the best times for wealth creation. Um, And our clients, we've conditioned them to be excited for turbulent economic times because that's where true wealth is built if they are ready. Um, And get advice, get help. It's so hard to make these decisions when you're looking through the rose-tinted glasses of your life experience. It is nerve-wracking. So having somebody who can hold you to a higher standard and be give you that little bit of a, a friendly nudge in the right direction to push the pace, um, it speaks for itself. And um, that's where the real results come. Absolutely. Cool. Like there's a there's a ton more I could ask. And I'm sure people are, are screaming things at the at me right now. Like, ask him about debt. What should we use? To, can I invest? Like, whatever. It's like, great. No, tell you what, here's, a, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you're excited about anything that Jackson has been saying and you want to learn more, Go find him. All of the places that you can find him are going to be in the show notes. Um, we're going to calm down and let him take a breath and, and not try and pick all of the genius out of your head right now. But um, I'm going to ask the question that I ask everyone because it's important. What are you excited about right now? We're coming up, like I said, right up here at the end of the year. You said there's a recession coming next year. Are you excited about anything? <laughs> what are you excited about coming up here in the next few months? Yeah, uh, that sounds weird, but I am really excited about the recession. Um but I'm excited about getting ready for it. And I'm excited about getting our clients and our community ready for it. And what we've been working on recently is a wealth scorecard. So top 40 things that get in the way of most people creating financial freedom that become even more important when we are in tough economic times. Mm-hmm. And what's scary is the average score is about 18 out of 40. That means that most people are below average financially, which is probably no surprise. No. The good news is once we can quantify our results and we can work out the areas that we can turn from a no to a yes, then we can very quickly improve that score. And um, So we'll include a, a link to that. But if you go to wealthhealthcheck.com.au, 
That's wealthhealthcheck.com.au. It works for everyone around the world. Uh, we don't have a different financial system in Australia. It's universal, I promise. Um, so it'll apply to you wherever you are in the world, and it'll help you work out what uh, what you can be doing to improve your financial position and get prepared for this upcoming recession and beyond. Awesome. And then that does bring up the question, if someone decides, hey, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm in the States, I'm in Canada, I'm in Bali, whatever it is, but they decide they want help. Do they need to go looking for someone else or can they say, hey, you know, Jackson, can you help me? We can definitely help them. So our system is universal. We've built it to work everywhere around the world. Obviously, the nuances of your particular country will change, but we'll help you work out how to understand them and play to those rules. Uh, but clients as far as Bahrain uh, that come to work with us. So uh, we teach them the fundamentals. We show them how to implement them. Uh, that's a great thing about money. Uh, we all speak the same language. So uh, so I can definitely help. Gotcha. And is there any is there any disclaimer that your lawyers require you to to say up front just because we've talked about money in the, on the show today? Yeah, this is all general advice, guys. So make sure that you get advice before you do implement uh, upon it. Um, this is all about giving you the right tools. So uh, once you can understand how to apply them, you can make better decisions for yourself. Awesome. Well, dude, this has been a great conversation. And like I said, I've got half a page of notes and I've got a bunch of other questions that I know people want to ask. So we'll talk about that later. But thank you. I've It's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it. It's been my absolute pleasure, mate. Awesome. That's it for this episode of Profit for Coaches. I've been your host, Joss Withard. To make sure you never miss a new episode, go to ProfitForCoaches.com to subscribe now. You'll also find all the show notes, resources, guides, links, freebies, and other goodies that we mentioned on the show. Plus, we've got some special bonuses there just for our subscribers. So to make sure you profit fully from this and each new episode of Profit for Coaches, go to ProfitForCoaches.com now.